The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cried, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fiery, fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the, serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. As you're reading that, Neil, I realised how many songs have words from that psalm in it and how many passages in the Bible actually quote that psalm. It's everywhere. I'm sure you all recognise some of those words. So, question. If you're going to summarise God's law, His commands, how, how would you do it? Anyone want to summarise God's commands for you? Ten Commandments. Good. That's a good way of summarising it. Yep. That, this can be anything, anything you want. I think that's a very good summary of God's commands for you. Two great commandments that Jesus said. Yep. Any other thoughts? How we treat God and others. Why don't we have a look? Um, in the Old Testament, we read, we can read a lot of laws that God gives, a lot of commandments. Um, this is particularly in the second, third, and fifth books of the Bible, uh, which are Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. There are hundreds of rules in those books, hundreds and hundreds. In fact, you can probably count up, you probably know how many there are, Stephen. How many rules are there? In 613. 613, there you go. <laughs> you would have had no trouble understanding the sermon I was reading last night. <laughs> um, but of those 613... There are two rules or two themes that just stand out. Here's one of them from Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Deuteronomy 6.5. And then there's this big long list from Leviticus 19 that seems to have a standout theme. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, don't pervert justice or show partiality or favoritism, don't slander, don't gossip, don't pervert justice, don't endanger your neighbor's life, don't hate a neighbor, don't seek revenge, don't bear a grudge. In other words, love your neighbor. These are all about loving your neighbor, aren't they? 
Love God and love your neighbour. They are the two laws or the two commands of life that just stand out in the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, these two. Love the Lord your God with all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. These are the laws that God gives us. And so these are the chains and the slavery that people want to break free from. Throughout history, lots of nations have sought to break these chains, to throw off this slavery. They've wanted to stop loving God and loving our neighbour. Think of nations throughout history and even more recently that have sought to actually actively break these laws of God. Would you like to share any examples you can think of of nations, of rulers in history that have wanted to shake off the chains of loving God and loving their neighbour. Any examples? Russia. Russia. Yeah, Matthew was here. I'm sure he'd say communist Russia, wouldn't he? Germany in World War Two. Absolutely. Pol Pot, Cambodia. With all the murders he committed. Yep. China. China right now, perhaps. Well, in a way, Trump wanted to stop loving his neighbour, right? He just wanted to make America great again. So we can we can do it in we can do it in quite um, we can do it in quite uh, subtle ways, can't we, Malcolm? So, <laughs> politics can be a dangerous game, can't it? That's all right. I'll probably say some things in this that are, are controversial to some. So the, here's some examples I could think of last night. Ancient Rome. There were laws which required the worship of Caesar. And that meant Christians were thrown to the lions or burnt in fires or crucified. That's a nation conspiring against loving God, isn't it? How about this one? Nations creating laws that allow men, women and children to be kidnapped from Africa, transported in chains across the sea to be slaves in other parts of the world. That's nations conspiring against loving their neighbours. Or more recently, the USSR and Stalin banning religion completely, shipping Christians off to re-education camps, imprisoning them for their whole life. That's working against the law to love God. Or Nazi Germany and Hitler rounding up Jews, gypsies, disabled, homosexual, blacks, political opponents, dissenting priests, Jehovah's Witnesses, putting them in concentration camps, murdering them. That's a nation working against the law of loving your neighbour. Or closer to home, closer to today's governments that legalise and fund and encourage mothers to abort, their, to kill their unborn babies. And that's not just in places like China, is it? That happens here in Australia too. That is a nation conspiring against God's law to love our neighbour. Or governments that ban the worship of Jesus with threats of loss of job or jail or even physical punishment and death, like these people fleeing ISIS. That happens in the Middle East and it happens in China. Who knows, one day it might actually happen here. I don't know. That's working against God's law to love God, isn't it? So these are all examples of conspiring against God and his anointed one. 
these are examples of breaking the chains of God and freeing ourselves from God's slavery. And it's happened throughout history and it continues to happen today. Psalm 2 is a pretty powerful piece of poetry, I think. Why are the nations angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? You'll break the nations with an iron rod. That's a psalm about struggle and power. And it's particularly about two competing powers. One good, one evil. What do you reckon about this? What are the two characters or groups of characters in this psalm? Who's good, who's evil? Thoughts? Yeah, we've got rulers and kings of the world. Yep. Uh, They're the good or the evil? (laughs) Let's be clear. Yeah, evil. Yep. And who's the good character in it? God's anointed one. Yep. So this is a psalm about Jesus. So King David might have been God's anointed one in in that day or maybe another king, not sure which one. But this is really a psalm about Jesus and a world that rejects him, isn't it? Even though it was written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, it's about him. There are probably about half a dozen psalms or maybe a dozen psalms that are called Messianic psalms because they speak about the Messiah. And this is one of them. Take a look at verse 2. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against the Lord and against his anointed one. That word there, anointed one, two words in English, one word in Hebrew. That word is Messiah, or it's Messiah in Hebrew, or Christ in Greek. So this is a psalm about God and his Messiah, his anointed one. That also refers to um, the line of Jesus as well, being the anointed one. It's a psalm about Jesus, the good, the righteous, the true ruler of the world. In contrast, it's also a psalm about those who want to reject his rule, those who want to throw off his way for us to live, his way of love. So it's a power struggle. It's a power struggle that happened 2,000 years ago. God sent his son to be king. People rejected him. The rulers rejected him. Think of who they were. King Herod, Pontius Pilate, chief priests, the Pharisees. They plotted against Jesus. And although they whipped and beat and killed him, the grave didn't hold him. And Jesus overcame that evil. He overcame sin. And God the Father has given him him all nations now. The whole world belongs to Jesus. He'll return and end all injustice, break all evil powers. That's what this psalm is all about. So last week we looked at Psalm 1. If you can remember, it spoke, I hope I'm paraphrasing this right, Malcolm, it sort of spoke about two types of people and two ways to live. The way of a righteous person, the way a righteous person lives, and the way an evil person lives. And ultimately, in Psalm 1, destruction is going to come to the evil person. But God's going to save the righteous person. And so this next psalm then expands that idea from individual, personal, at an individual personal level, to the big, wider, global level. There's a righteous ruler of the world, and he's Jesus. And there's an evil out there, an evil conspiring against him. Whole nations that want to throw off God's way of life and God's rule over them. And it's going to fail because God himself will rebuke them and he will overcome them. And so Psalm 2 is a warning. It's a warning not to work against God, not not to work against his way of love. 
Those who deny his call for obedience to his way of life, to love, they're not going to succeed. God's going to fight back and he's going to win. Those who oppose God are on the losing side. But there's also comfort in the psalm because God will be a place of refuge for those who serve him. He'll bring comfort to those who love him and love others. That is the message of Psalm 2. So let's, let's read it again now. I'm just going to read it again and let that message infuse you. Here's Psalm 2. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let's break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he'll rebuke them, terrifying them with his fiery fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on the holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Only ask and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You'll break the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Don't know whether you noticed the last couple lines there. Last year, I watched with quite a few people here, The Chosen, sitting in this room. Um, that's a wonderful series, if you haven't seen it, about the life of Jesus. And there's a scene where the Jewish leader, Nicodemus, comes to meet Jesus and in that scene Psalm 2 is actually quoted kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way blessed are all those who take refuge in him although we don't know if Jesus actually said those words to Nicodemus they do really fit beautifully because Jesus came to overcome sin and evil that was conspiring against him leaders and nations don't want that so they put themselves as enemies of God. And Jesus came to stop that evil. And he's gives, given us the opportunity not to stand against God, but to take refuge in him. So let's not ever get angry with God. Let's not waste our time with futile plans acting against him. Let's not fight against God's anointed one ever. Instead, let's kiss God's royal son and take refuge in him.